0: Ha- yeah, happy Sabbath everyone. Uh it feels so good to almost be at the end of lockdown. The end is in sight. Uh, I feel this sense of relief creeping up. Um this week the this week one of our boys are going to go to child care and that just it feels really good to be able to um, return to some sort of normality. And uh we're very much looking forward to October 12 when when the second when the second um, son goes back to school. So today we're going to be talking about, uh, faithfulness. And we're in part seven of our series. Um, it, it's also a relief that the end of this series is in sight. <laughs> We've got two more fruit. And so Jinha will be covering, uh, gentleness and self-control. Um, so without further ado, let's get into uh, today's message. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Um, Paul writes, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. And that's really what we're going to be talking about today. So the Greek word for faithfulness is pistis. And the usage of the word uh, faith in the Bible extends beyond this uh, cognitive exercise. Faith is more than what you believe. Um, faith is really about how you act. There's this ethical, um, character to faith that Paul wants to highlight, um, when he uses this word faith in this context. Uh, in other words, uh, what we believe should influence not just what we think, but what we do. So James in James chapter 2 verses 16 to 18 says, if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and, f- and well fed, uh, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds." So oftentimes in the Bible, uh, it states that um, a virtue begins with God. Uh, for example, in First John four nineteen, it says that we love because God first loved us, and I believe faithfulness is this, or faith is the same thing. Um, uh, faith works in the same way, where faith originates with God. God's faithfulness is given to us, and as a result, we are then able to be faithful and loyal, um, and we're able to give trust and become trustworthy. So the Bible claims that God is faithful in psalms 100 verse 5 it says for the lord is good and his love endures forever his faithfulness continues through all generations and here's one more example in exodus 34 verses 5 to 7 the context of this this passage is moses asks god to see him he says god i want to see you i want to know who you are and god says I'm going to proclaim my name before you. And here in this passage, God describes himself uh, to Moses. And uh, the passage reads, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. So, over and over again throughout the Bible, um, scripture claims that God is faithful. So, what does God? Uh, what does God's faithfulness look like in practical terms? And if uh, yeah, what does God's faithfulness look like uh, in practical practical terms? And when I usually think about god's faithfulness, uh, there are a few scenarios that come to my mind. Um, if there's a problem, I expect that god's faith God will be faithful and he's going to fix that problem. Uh, if there's danger, God's going to provide protection in that circumstance uh, if there's a blessing to be gained, God will then give it because he is faithful he's willing to give it and generally god's faithfulness towards us is associated with all things. Good, um, And that poses a bit of a challenge for me today because we're in the midst of this pandemic uh, and everything is, well, not good. Uh, I had a look at... Um, John's uh, there's a website produced by Johns Hopkins University and um Johns Hopkins reports that there have been over 32 million people worldwide who've been infected by COVID-19. Uh, almost a million people have died uh with COVID re- COVID-19 related deaths. Uh aside from the pandemic earlier this year, uh, you'll remember that we had the bushfires that went throughout Australia. Um we are officially in recession for the first time in thirty years. And then um there are all the things that we have gone through personally. Like every single person that I've talked to um, has gone through some difficulty or inconvenience due to 2020. So then my question is how do we reconcile this idea where the Bible says God is faithful? And yet, here we are in the midst of suffering, difficulty, um, and disappointment. How do we reconcile those two things? So the first thing that I think is important to mention in this discussion is that God's faithfulness is founded in his word. And so the more we understand God's word, uh, the more we'll understand how God works. And while it's true that God is faithful, it's worth looking into what that actually means on a personal level. So in Isaiah chapter 55 verse 11, um God makes some claims about his word. He says, "So is my word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it." So God is almost bound to his word, or I shouldn't say he's almost bound to his word. He is bound to his word. In Titus uh, 1 verses 1 and 2, it says that God will not, or, or rather he cannot lie. So in Genesis, when we read uh, that God's word, uh, excuse me, in Genesis, we read that God's word has creative power. And so at the beginning of each day of creation, uh, there's this phrase that repeats itself, and that is, and God said, whether it's let there be light or let there be land or let there be animals, God speaks and then creation occurs. And the main point that the author is trying to communicate through creation is that we can expect the word of God to do what it says. Whenever God speaks, something happens as a result of that. So God isn't always faithful to our expectations or our dreams or our desires, but he is always faithful to his word. So then it's important for us to familiarize ourselves with um, how God works in scripture and to understand his will as it's revealed through the Bible. So um, what is God's word? What is God's will? And where can I expect to see God? So today I want to look at the life of Paul. And I think he's just a great case study in the Bible uh, for several reasons. One, Paul is considered um, by many to be one of the greatest uh, Christian leaders of uh, the early church um, from the beginning of paul 's journey uh, with god there 's never a moment where paul is uh, where God is not with Paul. as you read the story of Acts, you see God working in paul 's life very, very clearly, and so from the beginning of his conversion to the end of his life. Paul never wavers in his faith. He never wonders, God, are you real? Are you there? Um, His relationship with God is just constant. Another really important uh, reason why uh, I like the story of Paul in the context of this discussion is because Paul is loyal. Uh, He's just an incredibly obedient person. And aside from Jesus, um, he is arguably the most prominent figure in the New Testament. Um, And and just because Paul is faithful, seeing how God interacts in this faithful person's life uh, gives us a lot of unique insights into God's faithfulness. So, What I want to start off by saying, and this is going to be a prominent theme through uh, this part of the the talk, is that God's faithfulness to Paul leads Paul into unpleasant circumstances. You know, we started out by um, talking about the expectations of God's faithfulness being usually associated with good, but in Paul's life, God is incredibly faithful, but um, things are not good. And, uh, let's look at some of these stories. Paul summarizes his ministry and things that he's gone through in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 to 27. Paul writes, Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. And that phrase, 40 lashes minus one is just saying, uh, generally speaking, if somebody was whipped 40 times, um, it was considered Like a a death sentence. Like if you get hit 40 times, then you're as good as gone. And so he would get whipped 39 times just to kind of make sure that he would recover. And this happened five times throughout his, uh, throughout his ministry. Verse 25. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, and (laughs) we get the idea. He had a difficult life. And what I want to point out is that in Paul's life, there's this paradox that is very, very apparent, and that is the coexistence of an all-powerful, caring God and the existence of difficulty in our lives. How do we reconcile those two things? If God has power to remove difficulty in our lives, why doesn't he do it? And I'm not going to be able to provide a solution to this question in this sermon, uh, but uh, what I do want to direct you, to for answering that question, um, there's a series on our YouTube channel uh, entitled The Problem of Pain is God to Blame, and uh, the presenter is Anthony McPherson. Uh, he did his uh, doctoral studies on this very topic, um, the, the topic of theodicy, and he's currently a professor of theology um, at uh, Avondale University. So today, I simply want to address that um, those two inconsistencies um, Exist together in this world and also in scripture. And I just want to address some false perceptions surrounding God's faithfulness in the midst of hardship. Now, yes, there are moments when God steps in and provides relief, but there are many times when God just simply doesn't. So today, um, the point I want to emphasize is that experiencing difficulty is not a sign of abandonment from God. Um, and the removal of all that is unpleasant is not a sign of care. Over the past six months, uh, Jinha and I have tried to homeschool Micah. Emphasis on the word try. Um, you know, when I reflect upon my interaction with Micah, there's this list of things that Micah has to accomplish each day. Uh, there are different assignments. And a lot of those assignments are really difficult for a seven-year-old to be able to understand and to execute. And if I removed every unpleasant task from uh, every unpleasant task that Micah didn't enjoy, uh, if I, let's say I did all the homework for him, or let's say I just said, ah, don't worry about it, you don't have to do any of the homework, uh, it wouldn't help him in the long run. So then as a parent, I'm, I'm both involved with Micah, but also I have to give him space so that he can learn and be challenged. And, and this balance is, it's a difficult one. And, and it's a, it's a difficult balance that Micah himself doesn't always understand. Like oftentimes he looks at me as if it's like, well, I don't want to do this or why can't you do this or just give me the answer. And, and there's this challenge of like trying to help Micah grow and at the same time trying to help Micah. Throughout the story of Paul, Paul encounters God's faithfulness in the midst of difficulty. In Acts chapter 9, uh, verses 19 to 25, uh, we read about Paul's initial conversion. Um, He gets baptized, he gives his life to Christ, and The story says that uh, at once Paul begins to preach in the synagogues um, that Jesus is the Son of God. And what ends up happening is that um, the result of Paul's faithful response to Christ is that his life is now threatened. Uh, If you look at verse 23, it says, After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. Uh, but Saul learned of their plan, and day and night they kept close thank you <laughs> verse two uh looking at verses twenty four and twenty five so day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him, but his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through the opening of a wall so um right after paul's baptism. He makes the right decision, and the result is his life is not threatened. And rather than there being blessing and comfort in his life, there's hardship, and he has to flee. And some of you will have noticed that as you read through, um, as you read through that passage, uh, the character in the story's name is Saul rather than Paul. And in the Bible, some characters have two names. And uh, later in the story, Paul's uh, Saul's name changes to Paul, signifying a maturing. Um, so in Acts thirteen verse nine, it says, "Then Saul, who was also called Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit." And so uh, there is almost this moment where Paul. Receives the power of the Holy Spirit, and then his name changes, and from that point on, uh, he is referred to as Paul. So, back to the story. Here's another example. Continuing, continuing on in Acts nine verses twenty six to twenty seven. God calls Paul to be a leader in the church, uh, but the leaders don't want to recognize his leadership. They look at Paul's past and see that he persecuted the church early in his life, and so they don't want to trust him, and they don't recognize God's call. In Galatians 2, verses 1 and 2, Paul reflects on this story, and he says, 14 years passed by from the moment where he was first called by God to where The leaders in Jerusalem recognized his work, and the reason why this is significant is because there are times where Paul asked for support, Paul asked for help, he asked for financial aid, and they just they didn't want uh, the 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 leaders in Jerusalem didn't want to recognize Paul's work as legitimate. And so, in Galatians two verses one and two, he says, "After fourteen years, I went up again to Jerusalem." This time with Barnabas, I took Titus uh, along, uh, along also, and I went in response to a revelation, and meeting privately with those esteemed um, as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles. And what later what happens in uh, Galatians chapter 2 is that Paul is then recognized as an official um, leader of God's work. So imagine being Paul. 14 years of laboring without recognition, without help, without support. And as you read through the story of Paul in the book of Acts and even in the, um, in, in his writings in the New Testament, you find often Paul supports himself. Uh, he goes and gets a second job, but dedicates himself to ministry and he just has a really difficult life. Um, you know, no one vouches for him. He doesn't get recognition and he has to make his own way. Um, from the ground up and I'm sure it would have been so easy for Paul to just kind of raise his hands and say, for, forget all this. It's just, it's not worth it. Forget God and his work. This is just too difficult. I just want to do something that is easier. And I just want to point out that Paul doesn't let the hardship that is brought about by man stop him from encountering the good that is brought about from God. In Acts chapter 13, verses 42 to 44, it says right after Paul is rejected by the leadership of the church, he and Barnabas preach about Jesus. And so um, Paul and Barnabas leave the synagogue, and the people invite them – or excuse me, as Paul and Barnabas preach about Jesus and as they're leaving the synagogue, um, there are people that invite them to speak further about the things um, – that they had talked about on the Sabbath. And so uh, what happens at the end of that passage, uh, verse 44, it says, on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. So here's the paradox again. Um, Paul is not recognized for his ministry for 14 years, but in the midst of that time, Paul experiences moments where large numbers of people come to the knowledge of God, and he sees God working in the uh Through the difficulty, he encounters the incredible work of God. So even though Paul is rejected by the Jews, he's rejected by the Christians in Jerusalem, here is God doing God things in the city of uh, Antioch, working through hardship. So there's one more story uh, that I want to look at in terms of the hardship uh, of Paul. So in in Acts chapter 16, um, there's one final example of uh, Paul ex- enduring hardship and at the same time experiencing uh, the faithfulness of God. So in Acts 16, Paul and his companion Silas uh, heal this fortune teller. And the result of this healing was a loss in the individual's fortune telling abilities. And the people in the town get really upset because there are several people who profit, uh, off of the fortune teller, there are lives that are influenced in the positive because they have access to what's going to happen in the future. And as Paul heals this individual, that power, uh, disappears. And so the people, uh, become really frustrated. They beat Paul and Silas and they throw him in prison. So here we are in Acts chapter 16, verses 25 to 34. So the story says that as Paul and Silas have just been beaten, they're thrown in prison. The story says that Paul and Silas, they're praying and they're singing hymns to God. And suddenly God sends this earthquake and the foundations of the prison are shaken and the doors of the prison, uh, the doors of the prison fly open. And after the earthquake happens, the jailer who is in charge of the prison runs from his home to the prison to check to see if the prisoners are still there. The result of this is that Paul rather Paul and Silas, rather than fleeing the prison, decide to stay. And because they stay, it opens a door for this jailer to then... Um, express interest in learning about Paul's God. Uh, He realizes that there's something supernatural surrounding Paul. Uh, Paul has the power to heal people. He has the power to uh, influence um, nature. And this person realizes uh, the God that Paul serves is not an ordinary God. And so at the end of the story, um, Paul and Silas are able to uh, lead this jailer and his entire family uh, to come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so, throughout Paul's life, Paul experiences incredible difficulty, incredible hardship, and at the same time, um, sees God working in a supernatural way. So, there's one last thing that I want to talk about in terms of Paul being able to reconcile God's faithfulness and the hardship of his life. Uh, Paul's willing, uh, Paul throughout his life was willing to put himself in a vulnerable place where he surrendered his expectations and he allowed God to work in a way that God chose. Uh, Paul was willing to navigate difficulty and fixate on God's faithfulness, which developed a special kind of faith, uh, a faith that peace, prosperity and comfort could not develop. So the last thing that I want to mention about the story of Paul is that he understood God's faithfulness in the context of eternity. So then the challenge for us is to see uh, history the way that God sees history. When we look at our lives, some of us may live to be a 100, some of us may not reach that number, but our lifespan in the context of eternity is so small. Uh a hundred years in the context of eternity is just a drop in the bucket. And Paul was able to see that, and he saw God's faithfulness make sense in the context of eternity. So in First Corinthians chapter fifteen, verses uh, nineteen to twenty-six, and I've just I've I've um cut a few verses out uh for the sake of the point, uh the passage says If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most uh, pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. So God wants us to be able to live for God's tomorrow rather than for our today. And as we learn to prioritize God and his will, and as we're able to journey with him through the difficulty, um, it allows God to speak into our desires, our motives, and to get us through hardship, uh, the hardship that is before us. So I want to spend a brief moment talking about what the Bible says uh, when it comes to our unfaithfulness We know that the Bible says that God is faithful, but what about the moments when we are unfaithful? Scripture consistently testifies of humanity's unfaithfulness. And so the question is, uh, how does God then respond? In Romans chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, once again, Paul asks the question, What if some were unfaithful? Will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. And so here we have the statement that, that says our mistakes don't provoke God to abandoning us or turning his back on us. In Psalm uh, 4 verses 1 to 3, uh, the psalmist says, answer me when I call to you, uh, my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress have mercy on me and hear my prayer. And here, uh, the the person switches, and this is God responding to the person praying. How long will you people turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? And here, God is responding to this to the penitent sinner. Uh, here's a person who recognizes God. I've made mistakes, but please hear me. And here's God saying. How long are you going to look after? How, uh, how long will you love vanity? How long will you seek after and chase after lies? And notice the verse continues on. Know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. And so the penitent person crying out uh, testifies of even though in my mistakes, uh, I, even though I have made mistakes, God in response Looks out for me, and there are these stories repeated throughout Scripture where God gives grace to the people who um, seek after Him and turn to Him in times of need. Uh, for the sake of time, I'm just going to narrate two different stories, and if if you want to go back and read through these stories, I, I highly encourage you to do so. Um, the Book of First Kings is littered with the stories of the kings of. Israel um the first kings of Israel and as you read through the stories you see God interacting with different individuals in different ways because of the way uh because of the decisions that they make uh, the first king in Israel's history is a man by the name of Saul and king Saul is called by God to be the first monarch of Israel and his story is a bit of a tragedy because when you read through his story um, he begins with being this virtuous man that has incredible promise and um, he makes this one mistake where he's about to go out to battle with uh, israelites uh, the israelites enemies and he's instructed wait for the prophet samuel and Samuel's going to offer a sacrifice on the behalf of israel um, and once he offers that sacrifice, then take the army and, and go out in battle. And he waits for seven days because he's instructed to wait for seven days. And Samuel is late. And Saul, being worried because the people are worried and the enemy is upon them, he decides, I'm going to make the sacrifice first, and, and then we'll go out and fight. And it should be fine. The, the important thing is that we make the sacrifice and ask God for help. And as soon as Saul finishes the sacrifice, Samuel arrives on the scene and says, you were supposed to wait for me, but because you didn't wait for me, the kingdom is going to be taken from you and your family and given to another. And from that point on, Samuel, uh, Saul's life turns to tragedy, and he just kind of um, makes a series of bad decisions after that. And when I reflect on the story of, of Saul, the reason why it's a tragedy is because he makes such a simple, honest mistake. And to be honest, it seems like rather than it being Saul's fault, it's actually Samuel's fault because he is late. And so if he were on time, Saul would have been fine. And yet Saul is the one who's penalized. And sure enough, as you read through the story of Saul um, throughout the book of First Kings, Um, The kingdom is taken from him and given to another, um, uh, given to a a young man by the name of David. Now, it's interesting to me that the stories of Saul and David sit right next to each other in uh, chronological history. And the reason why it's so interesting to me is because when you look at the life of David, David did a lot of really not nice things um, as king. He, he, When it comes to ethical decisions, he is, in my opinion, worse than Saul. In that, uh, he becomes king, he becomes influential and powerful, he sees another man's wife, he sends that man, well, he he seduces that man's wife, sends the man off to battle, and essentially the man dies. And David effectively murders, uh, the husband of this woman that he has seduced so that he can then uh, marry this widow and then kind of claim a uh, honest mistake like oh like uh, her husband died in battle and now i'm taking care of her and uh, now she is my wife but the reality is um he, david just does this terrible terrible thing um and at the same time the kingdom is not taken from from david uh he continues to be king uh the kingdom gets passed on to his children and his grandchildren and stays within his bloodline um and so there's like this interesting uh, maybe unfairness between how god interacts with saul who makes this honest mistake and how god interacts with david who makes this uh, terrible intentional mistake and you know when i reflect uh, for for many years these two stories really troubled me. But the reason why God chooses to give mercy to David versus Saul is in the life of Saul, there is never one instance where Saul genuinely turns to God and says, God, I made a mistake and I need you in my life. There's no proof of an actual relationship between Saul and God. Whereas in the life of David, David makes a ton of mistakes And yet he has a genuine relationship with God And the reason why that matters is because There's a degree of humility and honesty In the life of David That God sees and says I can work with that And so forgiveness and mercy Are best understood in the context of A relationship with God And so um, today, I just want to speak to those of you who may be wondering, God, I'm experiencing incredible difficulty in my life. I'm experiencing incredible hard, incredible hardship in my life. Um, how do I know that you haven't turned your back on me? And Psalm 4, verses 1 to 3, is written by David. And here is this example where um, even in moments where we disappoint God, God sets apart his faithful to himself and he hears when we call him. And so even if you have moments where you feel like what you, uh, you have not done enough good for God to give you favor, that's, that's not how it works. And so your mistakes cannot turn away God's faithfulness, um, especially in the context of a relationship with him. As you turn to God, God will then turn to you. You know, as as I close this thought of um, what it means to experience God's faithfulness in the midst of our difficulties, in the midst of our failures, um, I think there's a tendency because we have these misconceptions of God's faithfulness, it's easy in times of difficulty to uh, turn from God and turn to something else um, in Jeremiah chapter two verses thirteen um, god uh, God says, "My people have committed two sins: they have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water, in moments where you feel uncertain of God's faithfulness, um, when the tendency is to turn towards something else, um, this passage is, uh, I don't share this passage to um, give some sort of a rebuke, but rather to uh, encourage you to experiment. When you try relying on something else in moments of difficulty, whether it's Finding another job in financial difficulty. Whether it's, um, self-medicating in times of stress. Whether it's trying to make your own way in a moment where you feel like there is no other way. Uh, I encourage you to also try turning to God. You know, there's so many times where prioritizing God seems like an impractical solution. You know, so many times I've asked people, Uh, Do you think that following God's word would bring a solution to the problems of the world today? And so many times when it comes to people who don't believe in God, the answer is no. Like the Bible seems outdated and impractical. And how does it make sense to go to church when I don't have a job? Like how is that going to solve my problem? Uh, How is it going to solve my problem where I can't provide for my family and yet you're telling me to pray and read the Bible? What? How are those two things related? And I bring this passage because rather than a rebuke, it comes as a challenge where God says, try me out rather than focusing on money in times where finances are a difficulty rather than um, fixating on the problem. Trust me, prioritize me. And it gives God space to then work in our lives in a way that he otherwise wouldn't be able to work. And so, In your moment of difficulty, suffering, and frustration, and disappointment, I encourage you, trust in God. Take that step. Call out to Him. Ask Him for help. And see His faithfulness in your life. May God bless you as you practice this. Would you join us for prayer as we close today's um, service? Father God, we come before you today, and I just want to... Um, pray on the behalf of our church to pray on the behalf of the viewers today that in the midst of everything that's happening in our lives, father, um, there's so many times where your faithfulness is difficult to discern. Um, but I pray that through the hardship that you would, uh, that your presence would be felt, that you would be known. And as we journey through life's difficulties, we, I just want to pray that, um, a conviction of who you are would develop uh, in, in, in our lives. And may we be able to witness that ultimate fulfillment of your faithfulness um, at your return. I pray this in your name. Amen.